Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we... This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 3, Portraits of the Old Testament. This is a monthly podcast that explores the women of the Old Testament, examining their lives and telling their stories. For accompanying artwork, follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Savior Said. Hey guys, so this is the episode for Hagar, and I know when I did the episode for Sarah, I promised you guys it would be coming out soon, and it's been a couple of weeks. Um, There has been lots of drama going on. Well, first of all, I recorded the episode, and I decided I didn't like the tone that I took with it, so I was like, okay, I'm going to have to re-record it, and you're going to hear why in just a little bit. But then, so I set it aside, and I was like, I'll go ahead and do it this weekend. Well, then my entire family got COVID, and then I got COVID, so that didn't happen, and And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do it this next weekend. And then our sweet 12-year-old dog died. And so, you know, we've been in shock and mourning like all week long. So it didn't get recorded for a while. But I'm recording it this morning, and I hope that it will be good. So I do want to give a content warning as we go into this, that there is in Hagar's story some issues of consent and possible rape. We're not really sure what happened. So I did want to put that out there as a trigger warning or just content warning so that you were aware that we would be discussing that kind of stuff. Okay, so Hagar. At first, when I started looking at this story, it really, really bothered me because of the way that Ishmael was conceived. I got really upset by it because I was like, it's not fair. She didn't have a choice. She didn't have a voice. And, but then God forces her to go back to it. And, you know, I really, really struggled with this story. I realized that I wasn't checking my judgments at the door, which, you know, I I always say, I'm like, when we go into the past, we're visitors there. We don't get to take our own morals with us. So I wasn't checking my judgments at the door. And then I realized also I was missing the point of the whole story. The point of the whole story is that God was with Hagar, that God saw Hagar and he heard Hagar and was with her the entire time. And that is the moral of the story, not that Hagar went through something really awful and unfair and then I guess good stuff came out of it. You know, I mean, that I guess could be a sub-moral, but um, the main moral is that God saw her, right? So let's go ahead and get into it. Who was Hagar? And we read in Genesis 16, 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. So we know that Hagar was Egyptian-born. She may have been raised in Sarai and Abraham's household, or she may have come back with them from Egypt. Remember when Sarai and Abraham were in Egypt, and the Pharaoh took Sarah and everything? Like, she may have come back with them from that adventure. We don't know. But the way that she was raised to turn to God and to pray to God makes me think that she spent some extensive time with Sarai and Abram because she knew to call upon God when things got really tough. And if she had stayed in Egypt or been brought up, I guess, in the Egyptian culture, she would have been praying to multiple deities and stuff like that. So she knew the one true God, which makes me think she had been in their household for at least, you know, a good while. Okay, so going on into verse 2, it says, And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, and it may be that I obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. So this is the point where 
I get a little concerned about this whole situation. And as I was going in and researching Hagar's story, I mean, there's lots of commentary upon what they think happened here. There's lots of different traditions that happened around the same time where it it gets really kind of creepy and weird and just crazy. So don't go there. But um, it was like a lot of these different essays and stuff that I was reading that really made me very angry about this whole situation. And made me think that Hagar really had no choice and she had no voice in whether or not she was going in unto Abraham. We don't know that. I mean, maybe she thought Abraham was really hunky. I don't know. But it definitely does not record that she had any sort of like ability to say, no, I don't want this. So I don't know. The whole consent thing really bothered me. But again, I think that the story is not really about that. The story is about a really unfair thing that may have happened to Hagar, a really awful thing that may have happened to Hagar, but the redemption that came from it. So that's really what I want to focus on today. Okay, so let's go back to Genesis 16. And Genesis 16, 4, and he went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So imagine that, you know, your mistress gave you to her husband and would you despise the mistress? Yeah, I think so. Um, And it seems like, and we're going to see this continue on, that Hagar and Sarai had kind of like a competition thing going. And we're going to see that with their two boys as well later on, that they kind of just constantly competed. All right, going into six. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So Sarah was obviously not kind to Hagar. So Hagar has been through we don't know what with Abram. And then Sarah deals hardly with her. Rabbinical tradition actually says that she made Hagar do lots of heavy lifting, lots of hard labor while she was pregnant, and that she even hit her. Hagar runs off. Okay, in seven... And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. So it's likely that Hagar was trying to return back to Egypt, and she was at a fountain in the desert, possibly stopped there, afraid to go any further because this was a source of water. And as she's running off into the desert, she knows that there's not going to be a whole lot of more chances to get water, to stay hydrated, right? So she's probably stopped there. And it's here at her most desperate that she's visited by an angel of the Lord. And if you look back into the Old Testament, this is the first time in the Old Testament that it's recorded that an angel of the Lord visits a person. So he didn't first appear to Noah or Enoch or Adam. The angel of the Lord first appeared to a single mother-to-be who was mistreated by the woman who put her into the whole mess. The Lord saw her and the Lord heard her. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? Whether wilt thou go? So at this point, Hagar's perspective, I came from an awful place, went through awful things, and I have nowhere to go. I'm here lost in the middle of the wilderness. From God's perspective, we see you've been through some difficult things, Hagar, some unfair things, but I have a plan for you and I will get you through this. I was with you when you went through the unfair stuff. I will get you through this. We'll get to the other side and good will come from this, right? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. So I had a really hard time with this too, because sometimes the Lord asks us to do things that are not easy. And sometimes he asks us to do things that are not even fair but it turns out to be the best solution in the end. In this situation, Hagar and Ishmael needed to survive, and they obviously couldn't do that in the desert on their own. So they went back to Abraham and Abraham's camp, and they were able to be provided for physically. They were able to be provided for spiritually because they then Ishmael could be raised in a situation where he could believe in God, um, and they were 
taken care of. They had water, they had food, all the stuff that a baby needs to grow. So I think that it was necessary for them to return, even though it was going to be really unpleasant. Instead, it says, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for the multitude. Okay, similar promise that Sarai and Abraham were given, right? Who are the descendants of Hagar? Who are the, who's this multitude of descendants that she has? Well, Ishmael became the ancestor of the Arab people. And just as his later half-brother Isaac becomes the ancestor of the Jewish people. So you have two different lines of people that stem back from these two boys. 11. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. The name Ishmael means God will hear. So... She's given the knowledge that the Lord has heard her cries in the wilderness. He's heard her voice. So my concern going back to this was that she had no voice or say in what happened to her. Maybe Abraham and Sarah didn't hear her voice, but someone did. And that's the Lord. The Lord heard her. And she's given that knowledge that he was there with her, that he hears her cries. And so when she goes back to Sarai and Abraham, and it's going to be this awful, horrible situation, possibly, she knows that he's going to be with her. All right. He tells her a little bit more about her son, Ishmael. And he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand will be against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? So if God could see her out in the desert, he was with her before, and he will be with her when she returned to Sarah and Abraham. 14. Where the well was called Bir Laharoi, behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So if you look at the little footnote for Bir Laharoi, it means the well of him who liveth and seeth me. So he gave her a voice when he listened to her prayers, and now he's giving her a choice. He's not forcing her to return. I mean, she's given the choice that she could stay out in there in the desert and die, but he's giving her the option to live, but it's up to her. So in a situation where I was concerned about her choice and her voice, all of a sudden the Lord gives her both. And as I was going through all this in my mind and thinking about it for these past couple weeks, um, I started seeing the ways that the Lord brings us through our afflictions in multiple different spots. One of the places that something kind of popped up that spoke to me was in comeuntochrist.org. They have this thing called a daily verse where they'll send a verse from the Bible to your email and a little quote from um, one of the general authorities to go along with the verse. And the quote that came today was from Sherry Dew. It says, is it possible to be happy when life is hard? to feel peace amid uncertainty and hope in the midst of cynicism? Is it possible to change, to shake off old habits and become new again? Yes, the answer is yes, because of Jesus Christ, whose atonement ensures that we need not bear the burdens of mortality alone. Jesus Christ was with her. He's with all of us whenever we go through something hard. And this past week, as you know, we were mourning the loss of our dog, our sweet family dog. Um, it was very sudden. It was unexpected. And I was there when he actually passed away. And it was kind of a violent seizure death. Um, and so it's it stuck with me. And I had a really hard time struggling with it. And I was reading in the Book of Mormon in Alma. And this is where Alma goes to the Zormites and he finds the poor Zormites that have been kicked out and he's talking to them. And he's really upset by the prideful Zormites. They built the Ramiumptum or whatever. And so in Alma 31, in verse 31, it says, O Lord, my heart is exceedingly sorrowful. Wilt thou comfort my soul in Christ? O Lord, wilt thou grant unto me that I may have strength, that I may suffer with patience these afflictions, which shall come upon me because of the iniquity of this people? 
And I felt that in my heart because I felt so sorrowful and I was looking for comfort from the Lord. And it made me think of Hagar that she was exceedingly sorrowful, but the Lord was with her. You know, Jesus Christ was with her and he could comfort her. And he also, like Alma says, gave her the ability to suffer with patience these afflictions which shall come upon her because of the choices that others have made right? So I saw Hagar in that verse. Also, I saw Hagar a little bit later on in Alma 33, where he's quoting the old prophet Zenos in 4, 8, and 11. It says, for he said, thou art merciful, O God, for thou hast heard my prayer, even when I was in the wilderness. Yea, and thou wast merciful when I prayed concerning those who are mine enemies. Yea, thou art merciful unto thy children when they cry unto thee, to be heard of thee and not of men, and thou wilt hear them. And thou didst hear me because of my inflictions and my sincerity, and it is because of thy son that thou hast been merciful unto me. Therefore I will cry unto thee in all my afflictions, for in thee is my joy. I thought of Hagar in that situation too, where she turned to the Lord. And I don't know if she cried to him in her heart or if it was out loud, but at some point she cried to him because the the whole thing is the Lord heareth her and the Lord seeth her. So in her afflictions in the wilderness, she's crying to the Lord and he sees her and he answers her prayers. So going back into Genesis 16, verse 15, and Hagar bare Abram a son and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael which means that Hagar came back and told Abram everything that had happened in the wilderness. And Abram believed her because he said, okay, the angel told you to name this child Ishmael. We're going to name him Ishmael, right? 16. And Abram was four score and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. God sees us and God always gives us a choice and a voice. Okay, moving on from that. So there's the next time we hear about Hagar is when Abram, I guess he's Abraham at that point. Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away. So fast forward to Genesis 21, 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. So the child that they're talking about there is Isaac and was weaned. So I want to talk about this because this is kind of a big deal. There is a tradition in the Middle East. There's a traditional ceremony event that's still celebrated today. And it's because back then there was a high infant mortality rate. So when a child was weaned, which is traditionally around the age of three, the fact that the child had survived to age three was kind of a really big deal. And the reason that they nursed the child so long was because of the mother's antibodies and things like that could help protect the child from harmful, dangerous childhood illnesses that could cause death. So Isaac has made it through those tough three years where most children die, and they're really excited, especially because this is Sarah and Abraham's only child. So it's a big deal. So they're having this big party. It's going to be a great, great time. So they're getting ready to party, and then Sarah sees Ishmael making fun of Isaac. 21.9, we see, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking So at this point, Isaac is three. We know it says party. And Ishmael is likely 16, 17, like kind of just, you know, that dweeb knocky teenager age, right? And Paul says in Galatians 4 that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. Now, there is an old historian named Josephus who claims that Sarah loved Ishmael just as much as she loved Isaac, that she loved the two boys equally. But she feared that due to the significant age difference between the boys, that Ishmael should, quote, do Isaac injuries when their father should be dead. So she was afraid that when Abraham died, that all of his riches and his lands and, you know, the things that he had, that Isaac was going to be taken over by Ishmael because Ishmael was older, that Ishmael would try and maybe kill Isaac to get all the stuff that Abraham had or do him harm in some way, right? So she's like, I want her out. Well, Abraham doesn't like it. But God agrees, like, this is this is the best route. In 10, we see, 
Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. So we can see, you know, there, that's that's her concern. Who's the heir of Abraham? 11. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. 12. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, because of thy bondwoman, in all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So at this point, what were Sarah's options for Hagar? Camille Frank Olson in her book, The Women of the Old Testament, says, Ancient law suggested three different options were available to a chief wife who saw cause to reprimand her servant who was elevated to a concubine status. Number one, she could free the concubine and send her away. Number two, she could brand her a slave and return her to servitude. Instead of having the concubine status where she's kind of pampered a little bit, she could send her back to being, you know, just a slave in the camp. Or three, she could punish her. Sarah chose the first option, and it was also the most generous option. Hagar was likely given a legal document verifying her emancipation status and was a free woman. You know, she was given like, hey, you got this, you can go. Well, now she's cast out. So Hagar finds herself in the same situation that she put herself in 16, 17 years ago, where she was running away, right? But now she's being pushed out by the home that took her back in and took care of her and Ishmael for all those years. So what's going to happen now, right? In 14, and Abraham rose up early in the morning, took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. So was this hard for Abraham? Yeah, it likely was. I also tend to think that this may be something that's a precursor to the sacrifice that he's going to be asked to give with Isaac later on. You know, he's saying, this is my son, of course, my, my oldest son, and I love him very much. And the Lord's telling me, listen to Sarah, send your son and his mother out into the wilderness. Abraham doesn't know what's going to happen to them. And obviously he didn't really like prepare them super well. He gave them like a bread and a bottle of water and was like, here you go. So he really did trust the Lord to take care of them. 15. And the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. So at this point, the the water's gone and she puts the kid underneath the shrub. 16. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of my child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. So again, she's calling upon the Lord. She still hasn't lost faith that the Lord will hear her in her desperation and her prayers. Also interesting, the whole bowshot thing, because later on Ishmael grows up to become this great archer. So this is really the first time that we hear anything that has to do with archery, but it's there. And we think also that that was probably a hundred yards that they were away. So about the size of a football field, Ishmael to Hagar, right? Okay. In 17, and God heard the voice of the lad and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, what aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. So not only was Hagar praying, but this also shows us that Ishmael was praying. Ishmael had been brought up in a household where he was able to know the true God, and he knew the power of prayer, probably from his mother telling him, hey, I was in the desert, and I thought I was lost, and I prayed, and God heard me, and that's what your name means. So Ishmael has a testimony of prayer, and God saying, I heard him when he was praying. In 18, he says, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thy hand, for I will make of him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle of water and gave the lad drink. So how many times has it been in our lives where the answer is right in front of us, but it's not until we pray that really we can see the answer clearly? You know, like 
There's times in our lives where that happens. Okay, 20. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. So there's the archery thing. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. So we see that Hagar retained her free status. And she even had some sort of power and wealth as she was able to find a wife for Ishmael from her own home country. So she had enough clout to be able to pull some girl out of Egypt for her son to marry. So something good happened to her along the way. She was taken care of enough that she had the ability to do that. Okay, so that's her happy ending. And maybe it wasn't her ideal happy ending, but it was still happy and she was taken care of and it was the ideal for what God needed to happen. Camille Frank Olson, to wrap all this up, has a quote that says, One possible meaning for Hagar's name is flight, reflecting in her desire to run away from problems. But God allowed her to turn around and receive his power that enabled endless flight to the highest heavens. As her blessing indicates, Hagar's inheritance included the covenant's promise of eternal life. Though an outsider to Abraham's community, Hagar was not outside the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And that's the thing I hope you take away from this, that Hagar's life was not perfect. It was trouble and there were lots of ups and downs, but that God and Christ were with her the entire time, that they lifted her up when she needed it, that we don't even know like the times that they were with her when she was going through hard stuff, but I'm sure that they were. When I was making the painting for Hagar, um, I struggled with it because, again, I did not like the way that the whole conceiving Ishmael thing happened. So I wanted to give Hagar a voice. So in the painting, you're going to see, you know, there's the well and there's the night sky reflected in it to represent what God told Hagar that, you know, through Ishmael, there's going to be nation, you know, a whole entire nation born out of him. So there's stars representing all her descendants, right? And it's reflected in the well and it's at night because that's when she... I just picture her running away at night, right? So it's at night, she's at the well, and I've got her hands out. And her hands are out, palm down, because I wanted to give her the option to say no, to give her the option to say stop. Um, And so her hands are pressed down, saying like stop, like pushing away, right? She wasn't given that option, I don't think at least, in her story. So I wanted to give her that option in her painting. But as I went through and I kind of reinterpreted the whole story about how God was with her and God blessed her, I realized that with her hands stretched out like that, not only could it be a stop motion, but it also could be her reaching towards the stars, reaching towards the promises that God gave her and embracing those promises. So when you see the painting, that's kind of what's going on. It's also kind of when I was painting it, I painted it and Sarah's painting at the same time. So they're kind of mirror images of each other because I feel like their stories are kind of, they're so interconnected and intertwined. All right, I wanted to end this episode with a song that I thought would be really perfect. If you've ever listened to The Savior Said, you know I love Christian music. Um, It's like my jam. And you know, one of my favorite artists is Lauren Daigle, which, by the way, I got to see Lauren Daigle in concert a couple months ago. She was amazing. If you ever get a chance to see Lauren Daigle in concert, you need to go because it was awesome. It was like being at Time Out for Women because she's bearing her testimony. We're singing songs about Christ. Like, it was awesome, right? So this is a song from the last CD, I think, that she released, but it's called Rescue. And the lyrics are pretty much just straight up like, I, I feel like Hagar's story is it here in the lyrics, right? Here's some of the lyrics. You are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless, though you have been broken and your innocence stolen. I hear you whisper under your breath. I hear your SOS. I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. I will rescue you. There is no distance that cannot be covered over and over. You're not defenseless. 
I'll be your shelter and I'll be your armor. And then it goes back into the chorus and it keeps going. So I thought this song was perfect for Hagar. And then I went and watched the lyric video and it's literally Lauren Daigle walking around in the wilderness, right? She's walking around the wilderness and the song, whole song is from the perspective of God seeing us in our hardship and rescuing us. Maybe not in the way that we think, like he's not going to come down and just pluck us up out of the hard thing, but that he will be there with us. And when we have nothing left, nothing left to give, that he will be there for us and be that thing that we have. So here it is, Rescue by Lauren Daigle. I hope you guys have an awesome month studying the Old Testament. Bye, y'all. You are not hidden There's never been a moment You were forgotten You are not hopeless Though you have been broken Your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your I hear your SOS, your SOS I will send out an army to find you In the middle of the darkest night, it's true I will rescue There is no distance that cannot be covered over and over. You're not defenseless. I'll be your shelter, I'll be your armor. I hear you whisper underneath your. Yeah.
The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. For artwork, show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content, including artwork, in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.